My idleness had attracted the notice of an officer who stepped forward and began to interrogate me in the following manner. Who do you belong to? Why are you not at work? I answered, I doesn't belong to nobody, massa. I's free, and all is worse. I's a going to Richmond to work. But that availed me nothing for turning to a man who was dressed in citizen's clothes and who seemed to be in charge of the colored department. He said, take this black rascal and set him to work. And if he doesn't work well, tie him up and give him 20 lashes. I was soon furnished with a pickaxe, shovel, and a monstrous wheelbarrow. And I commenced forthwith to imitate my companions in bondage. I need not say that this work was exceedingly hard for the strongest man, but few were able to take up their wheelbarrows alone. All day I worked until my hands were blistered from my wrists to the finger ends. Night came, and I was released from my toil. I was free to go where I pleased with the fortifications, and I made good use of my liberty. I made out a brief report of the mounted guns, which I saw that night in my ramble round the fort. Fifteen three-inch rifled cannon. Eighteen four-and-a-half-inch rifled cannon. Twenty-nine thirty-two pounders. Twenty-one forty-two pounders. Twenty-three eight-inch Columbiads. Eleven nine-inch Dahlgreens. Thirteen ten-inch Columbiads. Fourteen ten-inch mortars. And seven eight-inch siege howitzers. This, together with a rough sketch of the outer works, I put under the inner, I put under the inner sole of my contraband shoe and returned to quarters. You see, the slave working to build Confederate fortifications was no slave at all. But a Yankee spy, freeborn. In fact, the the spy wasn't even black, but a white person who used a small vial of nitrate of silver in weak solution to stain her skin black. And in case you missed it, that's right. I said, stain her skin. The black man working as a slave for the Confederates was actually a white Yankee woman and a spy. Sarah Edmonds' account, Nurse and Spy in the Union Army, was first published in 1864. Though the accounts of her book are unverified, what is uncontested is her service in the American Civil War, disguised as a man from 1861 to 1863, 
in the 2nd Michigan Infantry. In 1897, right before she died, she was admitted into the Grand Army of the Republic, an organization for soldiers who served for the Union in the Civil War. If someone makes an incredible movie of this woman's life, and if you do, remember you heard it here first, then moviegoers won't want to know how the film ends before seeing it. You wouldn't want to know that the Confederate slave was a Yankee white woman and a spy until the very end. In Luke chapter 24 verses 28 to 35 offers a similar big reveal, a reversal of our expectations that surprises and delights us. If Luke 24 were a movie, people would tell you to wait for the bread-breaking moment right near the end. You'd want to know about what they were what they were talking about, of course, but you still wouldn't wouldn't want to hear about it because you'd want to experience your, it yourself. Well, we know the ending of Luke's gospel, and that's a great thing. But our our text here, though though true history, unlike the contested history of nurse and spy or the fiction of the film The Sixth Sense, it it is true straightforward history. But I want us to see tonight Luke's excellent craftsmanship as a historian he tells this story and he tells this story well so let's look at Luke chapter 24 it's on page 885 in the black pew bibles in front of you Luke chapter 24 verses 28 to 35 So they, that is Jesus, Cleopas, and an unnamed companion, drew near to the village to which they were going. He, that is Jesus, acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, "Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent." So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight they said to each other did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened to us the scriptures and they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, "The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon." Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Well, let's pray and ask God to help us understand this passage. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you know my weakness in the 
face of this great story, no man can do it justice. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us see the beauty and amazement in this passage, but most of all, the gloriousness of its principal actor, our Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, in these eight verses, Luke moves us from a road to a village to a table and then all the way back to Jerusalem. And more importantly, Cleopas and his companion finally recognize who Jesus is. And I want us to consider this passage under three headings, reception, recognition, and response. In verses 28 to 30, we see the reception that Cleopas and his companion give to Jesus. In verses 31 to 32, we'll consider the recognition of him. And finally, in verses 33 to 35, we'll consider the response. So reception, recognition, and response. First, reception. In verses 28 to 30, Cleopas and his companion invite a stranger to stay with them. In verse 28, Jesus acts as if he were going farther. And they see this. And Jesus is not being insincere. If they had not invited him, which they do in verse 29, then Jesus would have kept on going. And incidentally, even though they do invite him, he is moving on, but not in the way that they anticipate. He vanishes. Now, Cleopas and his companion, I just want you to see right here at the start, that even though they don't know who Jesus is, they show kindness and hospitality to a stranger. It reminds me of Abraham in Genesis chapter 18, where Abraham shows kindness to strangers and in doing so actually shows hospitality to the Lord himself. And these two, in a way, share in Abraham's experience. Like Abraham, they share a meal with a stranger. Verse 30. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. Now, verses 30 and 35, verse verse 35, he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. These two verses may suggest that Jesus was offering Cleopas and his companion the Lord's Supper. The sacrament established by Jesus himself on the night he was betrayed. The sacrament of which we, some of us, will partake in a moment. Now, I don't think so. Luke certainly uses language to evoke the Lord's Supper. Later in his next book, Acts, chapters 220 and 27, Luke does use breaking bread metaphors to indicate that the early church regularly celebrated the Lord's Supper. But Luke's language here in Luke chapter 24 not only points forward to the practice of the early church, it points back to the earthly ministry of Jesus himself. 
In Luke chapter 9, if you remember, Jesus feeds thousands of people. And when Luke describes that amazing miracle in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 9, he writes, Taking the five loaves and two fish, he, that is Jesus, looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. So I, I think it's appropriate for us to read this passage and to think about the Lord's Supper and back to the feeding miracles. But I don't think that Jesus is actually administering the Lord's Supper to Cleopas and his companion. Let me quickly as an aside offer four reasons why. First, there's no wine at this meal as there is in the Lord's Supper. Second, Jesus offers no words of institution. In Luke chapter 22, if you remember, Jesus says, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus does not utter these words here. Third, Cleopas and his companions were not actually with Jesus the night that he was betrayed. It was an invitation-only event. So even if you want to read wine and the words of institution into this setting in Luke chapter 24, you still have to wrestle with the fact that they would not, Cleopas and his companion, wouldn't understand what Jesus was doing when out of the blue he says, do this in remembrance of me. Finally, and this one was the one that struck me the most actually, Cleopas and his companion do not fulfill the scriptural requirement of taking the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I encourage you to listen to Ted's sermon that's available online if you've not already or you just want a fresher course. I actually listened to this part myself uh, this past week. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 29. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Now, if discerning the body means the church, then Cleopas and his companion fail the test. They fail the test. They don't discern the church. They think their movement ended with the horrific and shameful death of their founder. If discerning the body means Jesus himself, by contrast, that's another way to understand what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians, then they don't do that either. I mean, literally, Jesus is in front of them and they don't discern Jesus. So either way you read it, they don't fulfill the requirement for taking the Lord's Supper. So that means... That Jesus can't be giving them the supper. Because Paul tells us if you drink the supper unworthily, you drink to your condemnation. And whatever you think about the Lord Jesus, I think you'll agree that he would not give a supper, the Lord's Supper. He wouldn't give a sacrament to Cleopas and his companion simply to condemn them. So in the words of one commentator, this was not a miraculous meal like that of the five loaves, nor a sacramental meal like that of the Eucharist, but a common meal 
It was a common meal. That will become important in a moment. And they received this bread that the stranger breaks, just as they had received him at their table. And then they recognize him. Verse 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Notice the great irony here. When they see Jesus in verse 16, they don't recognize him. But now at the table, they recognize him and then they don't see him. He's gone. But they recognized him. And their recognition of Jesus prompts a recollection, a remembrance of their prior interaction with him. Verse 32, one of, if it's permissible to have a favorite verse, one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, verse 32, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us? While he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures. Recognition leads to remembrance. It's after they recognize Jesus that they reflect back to the conversation on the road. And they then realize what was going on. It's like when some clueless guy says, well, um, yeah, I guess I was in love with her or something like that. And Luke here offers us a picture of conversion, how people really and truly are converted. People fall under the teaching of the Bible. And, and it falls on them, it washes over them like rainwater. But a seed begins to grow unnoticed by them. And then after the fact, they realize what has happened. They recognize Jesus and then they see, they can begin to piece together what the Lord has been doing. Well, what is this newfound recognition of Jesus? What, what do they do in the face of this recognition? They respond. That's our third point. The response of verses 33 to 35. Remember, it was toward evening when they invited Jesus into their house. That's verse 29. And then they share in verse 30 a meal with him. So it's actually gotten quite late. Nevertheless, verse 33, that same hour, they retraced their steps to Jerusalem. Presumably, they're at Emmaus, which we know from verse 13 was about seven miles. So they walked out seven miles and now they race back in. Jesus walks them out only to have them walk back in. Conversion reorients your mind and your heart. It also reorients your life. 
Well, Cleopas and his companions, they arrive back at Jerusalem, verse 33, and they find the eleven and those who are with them gathered together. Imagine their excitement. They want to tell everybody their news. But the eleven apostles and the other people there beat them to it. They say the Lord has risen indeed and appeared to Simon. What a surprise. They they heard the good news already. Now, let's just think about this real quick. I want you to get the chronology, right? So they now learn that Jesus appeared first to Simon. That is Simon Peter. Jesus appeared first to Peter before meeting them along the road. That means that we can look back on this whole journey and at the same time that Jesus is, at the same time that Emmaus, uh, sorry, the same time that Cleopas and his companion are walking to Emmaus and they meet Jesus, they're walking away from the disciples. At that exact same moment, Peter is making his way to the disciples to tell them, hey, I've just seen Jesus. Now, I want us to consider what I think is, there are a lot of striking features to this passage, but in my study, this is the one that struck me the most. We learn about Jesus appearing to Cleopas and another person whose name we don't even know. But Luke offers no account Indeed, no gospel offers an account of Jesus's first appearance to Peter that Easter Sunday. There's Peter's restoration in John chapter 21 after that first Easter. But we don't know how the first appearance of Jesus went with Peter. Instead, we get Cleopas about whom we know nothing else than what is written here, and another man or woman whose name we don't even know. Isn't that striking? If you were working on your screenplay or a sketch of the great American novel about this passage, you wouldn't neglect the great scene played by some superstar playing Peter, you wouldn't neglect the Jesus and Peter scene. But Luke does. Luke does. And that's marvelously subversive. Imagine Darth Vader telling a random member of the Rebel Alliance that he was Luke Skywalker's father. Without the big reveal in The Empire Strikes Back, I am your father. Sorry. <laughs> or turning to another genre, one I'm more comfortable with. Imagine a pride and prejudice in which we find out from Mr. Darcy's conversation with Uncle Gardner that. He and Elizabeth are going to get married. Imagine getting that 
Instead of Darcy's confession of affection to Miss Bennett herself, if your feelings are still what they were last April, tell me so at once. My affections and wishes are unchanged, but one word from you will silence me on this subject forever. Luke is giving us history, but he's not serving up the standard fare. We learn about Cleopas's response to the risen Jesus, but not about Peter's. That's surprising. Verse 35, they tell everyone about their experience. That's a continuation of the response. And so we have reception, recognition, response. We have reception, recognition, response. We interact with Jesus, we see who he is, and we are transformed by him, and we go and tell. But this sermon, like Luke chapter 24, has a big reveal. The reception and recognition and response of Cleopas and his companion, they're not really what this passage is about. I mean, sure, sure there is. But it's more than that. Think about the reception of Jesus in verses 28 to 30. It's kind of them. It's kind of them to receive this stranger off the road. To receive him in that way. But what's extraordinary is that Jesus graciously seeks them out. That he agrees to sit at the table with them. And it's kind of them to receive Jesus as a guest into their house. But notice that Jesus is the host at the table. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he, that is Jesus, took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Jesus effortlessly and inoffensively assumes the role of host. He sits at the head of the table and it's appropriate for him to do so. He's the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. How should we think about that? Well, you may think you're giving God an opportunity Opening up the door to the little house that is your home. But you need to know that he's at the table already. Calling you to come to the feast. Or think about recognition in verses 31 and 32. They recognize Jesus. Fair enough. But here's the surprise. They only recognize Jesus because God opened their eyes. Verse 31, their eyes were opened. Recognition is not something that they did. Recognition is something that was done to them. Jesus reveals himself in ordinary ways. He Moved Cleopas 
and his companion from unbelief to belief. Using everyday things, he talked with them, he discussed written words with them, conversation at a table, a common meal. And Jesus is still using these ordinary means to bring people to him, speech and written words, conversation at a table, and an ordinary meal. He works through word and sacrament, through opening the scriptures and breaking bread. But guess what? You need more than a sermon. You need more than food and drink. You need Jesus. And it's only when Jesus makes the ordinary extraordinary that your eyes are opened, that you see him for who he is and your heart burns within you. God opened their eyes. Their recognition was something that was done to them. Finally, consider the response again in verses 33 to 35, because there's a surprise here, too. Cleopas and his companions, they do respond. But the principal actor in Luke 24, the focus of the story is the Lord Jesus himself. And that is fantastic. Because wherever Jesus is, there's the drama or the comedy. Let it sink into you that Luke is concerned about Cleopas because Jesus appears to Cleopas. If Jesus meets you on the road to to Emmaus or on the road to Damascus, you don't have to ask about anybody else. You don't need to compare yourself to anyone else. If Jesus has bread in his hands at your table, that's where the action is. It's because it's not about you. It's about the one who finds you. The Apostle Peter himself addresses the, his second letter To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter didn't look at Cleopas' faith and say, hmm, B plus, B, B plus. He looked at Cleopas' faith and saw a faith as precious As his own, a faith with equal standing to his own. And that's because it's not about Peter, it's not about Cleopas, it's about Jesus, the one who suffered for his people before he went into glory. Well, in conclusion, let me just say that you don't need to be a great mystery detective or a good researcher to be a Christian. You need God, the Holy Spirit, to open your mind to the knowledge of Christ so that you can see him and to renew your will so you can embrace him. Now, you may feel 
just like Cleopas's unnamed companion. An unknown traveler on a road to a town that will soon no longer exist. And if you do feel like that way tonight, then you are exactly where Jesus wants you. He has found people on that road before, and he will do so again. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we rejoice in you. Thank you that you are a gracious, kind, and loving Savior. That you find wicked sinners and bring them to yourself. Thank you, Jesus, that you found me. Lord, we pray that you would write your word on our hearts. And we pray that you would change us and renew our wills so that we can love you passionately. And it's in your strong and powerful name we pray. Amen. Amen.